Welcome to Game of Books Podcast. I'm Kathy in South Dakota. And I'm Christy in South Florida. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and mystery through interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors. And our virtual book club. And even our fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us on today's adventure. Welcome everyone to the Game of Books GOB Club on the first to lie by Hank Philippi Ryan. Kathy, this is so exciting. We've taken our virtual book club to another level. <laughs> yes, we have. We've invited more guests to our long distance fun of food, wine, and mysteries. And we're really excited to get to know some of our listeners. And of course, we get to hear from the indomitable Hank Philippi Ryan. Yes, this is gonna be so much fun. I'm ready already to dive in with this food and wine, um, but first we need to have everyone introduce themselves, like tell us who you are and where in the world you are. Oh, that's a great idea. Let's start with Beth. Hey, I'm Beth. I'm in the mountains of North Carolina. Hey, Beth. Welcome, Beth. <laughs> Hi, thanks. Okay, um, we looks like we have Teresa next. Hello, I'm Teresa, and I live in Sarasota, Florida. Oh, good. Another Florida girl. <laughs> yeah. Nice to see you, Teresa. Welcome. Thanks. All right, let's go over to Judy. I'm Judy, and I'm in beautiful Deerfield Beach, Florida. And it is beautiful. Just up the road yep. for me. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now um, we, we're all here. Let's, let's go to the food and wine, please. <laughs> Please. Okay, well, let's start with the most important thing, the wine. Let's be honest. So we, um, for anybody who's joining us today in a little glass of wine, I chose the Uno Malbec, Antigal Malbec, <laughs> inspired right out of the book that we're having for today. Um, if you'll remember, pretty early on, there was a scene where one of the main characters is drinking some Malbec, and I, right away I thought, oh, that's what we have to have. Yes, yes. So, and, you know, um, this is such a pretty bottle. Isn't it beautiful? It has like a raised metal. I don't know, you know, we'll see. Mm -hmm. did, did any of you guys get the, the same bottle? No. no. It would be a cool one. It'd be a cool one to like, I have a friend who, you know, would cut off the tops of used bottles and like make candles out of them and stuff. It's like you can, it's really this raised thing. It's cool. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm ready to sip it. Okay. 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 So why don't you guys, if you have some. And what, what do you guys have? Do you yeah. guys have wines? Oh, yes. I do. That's oh. perfect. You got a beer? Strongbow. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, beer is prevalent in the book too. So that was good. They had it out on the boat. I have, what do you have? tall, dark stranger. Malbec. <laughs> nice. Nice. That's awesome. I have Desenio. It was Argentinian, I think, and I think that's what yours was. So I found what I could find that was close. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So let's have a sip while have Kathy a sip. Us. Okay. So for the um, Antigal Uno Malbec, here's the tasting notes. And probably similar to the other Argentinian wines, it offers delicious plum, strawberry, and blackberry flavors with enticing hints of violets, vanilla, and milk chocolate. Brightly uh, brightened, excuse me, by carefully protected natural acidity, this violet red wine has a silky texture and provides an agreeably persistent finish. That is such a nice little description. I know. I, 
I, I always want to know who writes these. <laughs> well, that one apparently was written, written by the winemaker. It said. Mm-hmm. So one has a description as well. The Desenio yeah. is a rich wine with an inviting bouquet of stone fruit. A hint of comp- coffee complements the blueberry spice and chocolate flavors. Oh, wow. That sounds good, too. <laughs> I'd like <laughs> to eat stone that. fruit. I'm like, what's stone fruit? I'm not sure. But anyway, and so um, for the food, we chose sandwiches and chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> Both of these are featured in the book. And um, one of them was even a murder weapon. But we're not <laughs> going to say which because we don't want to ruin it for all the listeners <laughs> out there. Um, but uh, I did not have tuna fish. I made a Cuban sandwich. Say, yum, <laughs> because I don't really like tuna fish too much. And then um, I had my daughter make some Toll House chocolate chip cookies. Nice. So, and I think I jumped right over your line, Kathy. It's all good. It's all good. I too made a platter as if you were all here with me. <laughs> That's so beautiful. Thank you. Um, I found um, some recipes that we're going to include for other book clubs um, for a club sandwich um, that is really good. And it's this website called, or food blogger called spendwithpennies.com. And she has a million great recipes. And so I made um, club sandwiches today and little tiny sizes because they're so good. Oh, they are cute. And then I also picked a really good chocolate chip cookie recipe from handletheheat.com. And I did make the recipe. Did you? I did. And it's a new recipe to me. And But here's the thing. It it does take two different kinds of flowers. And it it's one of those ones you make the day before. And yeah, you, that's what we were going to make it. In, and I, my <laughs> daughter just ran out of time. Yeah. So I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. But it, I, they're good. I, I will. I tested them. For is it breakfast. worth, is it worth the long yes, uh, it is. prep? It is. Okay. What do you, do you guys, are you guys joining us with any food and um, sandwiches or cookies? It's hard just, to talk and eat at the same time. I guess. Just our beverages. <laughs> I have a club sub. And some oh. chocolate chip cookies. Oh, there you go. Ooh. I had a tuna sub from uh, Sub Sandwiches today. Nice. Oh. <laughs> I well, thought and- you were going to say a pub sub because, you know, that's what we have down <laughs> here in Florida. A pub sub. Well, and what's great is Hank's book is full of food and wine. So it was really easy to pick a couple different recipes that would, were inspired from the book. So especially the right. chocolate chip cookies was my favorite. Ah, uh, okay. Well, we ready to... Move on to the book discussion. Yep. All right, let's do it. Um, before we get started, let's all give a warm welcome to author Hank Philippi Ryan. Hank. Hey. Hi, 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 hi. Hi. <laughs> Starting the video. I didn't want to intrude on you on your oh, meeting. Oh, you're never an intrusion. Are you kidding? <laughs> hi, Hank. Good to see you. Good to see you too. How are you both? Doing great. Yeah, we're hanging in there. So um, many of you may already know Hank because we've had her as a guest on previous episode in, episodes, including last season's Corks and Conversation with Hank Philippi Ryan. And don't forget 
the best episode when she surprised me as a surprise guest <laughs> on my birthday and I did not know it. And this is, I'm much calmer now today, Hank. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. No, it's so it's, so it's surprises are such an odd thing, aren't they? I mean, I do not give me a surprise party. I do not want to be surprised. <laughs> I've spent my whole life trying not to be surprised. So not working so well these days, I have to say, but yeah. Um, yeah, right? so I'm glad that I'm glad that you loved it. It was very, it was very sweet. I did. Oh, that, that was so wonderful. You, uh, you made yeah. up both of our days and I yeah, it was my birthday, great. but I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, we won't go, we'll get right into this. We, we won't go through all of Hank's accolades because we would be here for an hour just doing that. <laughs> yes. For today's purposes, let's just say she's a best-selling and award-winning author of this very badass book, The First to Lie. I love that yes. you say badass. Right? Yeah. And you can see mine, <laughs> mine's quite marked up. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. I want to know what those marks are. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I well, we can all agree. I think that it's um, badass, and um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, and it was impossible to put down. I'm telling you, and it had me guessing until the very end. Uh, so, for those of you out there who have your own book club, this book is one that is you're going to have a long, fun discussion about it. That's all I can say. <laughs> Thank you, and whoever's listening, invite me to your book club. I'd love to come. This is. Um, oh. Yeah, so much, this is such a ridiculously crazy time. Mm. Um, and I would be on book tour now if not for the pandemic. <laughs> so I figure I might as well do the zoomiest book tour I possibly can and talk to as many people as I possibly can. So find me on my website. Come contact me at hankphilippiryan.com. Click on contact. It comes right to me. So I would love to talk to you all about any of my books. Do it, Oh, everybody. that's wonderful. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and if you don't trust our opinion, just saying she's this fabulous, best-selling <laughs> author, let me just read you this review in case you need a little enticement. The First to Lie is a stellar standalone. It touches on corporate intrigue, journalism ethics, revenge, and the corrosive nature of lies. Ryan could and should win a sixth Agatha, Agatha with this one. And that's from Publishers Weekly starred review. That is not given out lightly, right, Hank? <laughs> well, it's so interesting. No. And as you well know, it is very difficult to get a starred review from Publishers Weekly. And the way we find out about those reviews um, is our editor sends an email or sometimes the pu publicist at the, at the publishing company sends an email. And so you look for that subject line that says oh. Publishers Weekly or, you know, book list. And sometimes it, it will say an interesting review or some, but for the Publishers Weekly starred review, it said Publishers Weekly review and had three exclamation marks. So, you know, that's a good thing. <laughs> you, you, know, you sit with your, with your mouse hovering over that open and you think, okay, in a, in a second, I'm going to be really, really happy or really, really sad. So when Publishers Weekly called it stellar, you know, that is just about as good as that is. I'm closing my email here because I'm the one who's dinging. Let me get rid of that. Um, <laughs> when Publishers Weekly says it's stellar, mm -hmm. you know, that is, it just made, oh. I was going to say it made my day, but it didn't, it made my year. Oh. <laughs> well, that's great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. And, and the, it goes on and on because if you look at the back <laughs> cover, everybody loves this book. This is such a good book, including us. So yeah. perfect for our first, um, 
our book well, club. You know, so it's, it's, a, it's a standalone. So yeah. it's not one of a series. And each standalone novel has to be sort of the most important thing that ever happened in the characters' lives. I mean, their lives go on, have happened before the book, and their lives go on after the book, some of them at least. Um, but this is the, this is the critical key time for readers to be in their lives. And it's really fun to write a standalone because, you know, anything can happen. Anybody can be good. Anybody can be bad. Anybody can be, can lie and anyone can die. Anyone. That's so, so I, true. That's and so my, true. You know, my readers are smart and mm -hmm. I know you all understand the structure of a thriller and a mystery and you're all looking to solve the mystery before I can tell you that, right? You're all looking mm -hmm. for it. Absolutely. And so I, you know, as an author, I have to sort of stay one step ahead. <laughs> Well, you did it. <laughs> I was just going to say, we'll try really hard not to give away any spoilers because like Hank said, this thing is windy and twisty and I mean, pages change the whole plot in, in an instant. So we'll try really hard, but we will probably give you some good ideas for great discussion topics that you can nice. use with your own book clubs. Yep. Let's get started. Um, with Beth. Beth yeah. has a question out there. So, all right. Beth has a question. Um, my question is what was the initial idea for uh, the spark this novel? Um, that is such a good question, Beth. And thank you. Um, I've been a television reporter for 43 years and I've wired myself with hidden cameras and confronted corrupt politicians and gone undercover and in disguise. Um, and there was one story I did several years ago. <coughs> Excuse me. I had almonds before this meeting. <laughs> Not the best idea. Um, 10 years ago or so, I was doing an undercover story uh, where I posed as a woman who was trying to get pregnant. And my husband, who was my producer, and I went into a doctor's office to, oh, see, no whether he tell us, to see whether he would tell us the truth we went in as potential patients to see whether he would tell us the truth about his medical legal history, about his, um, we knew he had a history of malpractice losses, really devastating pattern of malpractice losses. And a tiny bit of background, Beth. Um, I had tried to find out whether it was public, whether the legal history of of doctors was public. And I found out that the only way a potential patient could find out what a doctor's legal history was, was to go from court to court and look up the doctor's name and see if cases had been filed. And even, even, and that's so onerous and so difficult. And even if you, even if you did it, uh, the results would not necessarily be very clear. So I went to the Board of Registration in Medicine in Massachusetts and asked, how is a potential patient supposed to know whether a doctor has a serious history of malpractice losses? And the Board of Registration in Medicine executive director said to me, well, the patient should ask the doctor and the doctor will tell them. And I said, exactly, <laughs> so they're all laughing, exactly. And I, and I did too, I laughed too. And I said, no, they won't, of mm -hmm. course they won't. And as a result of that story, my producer and I went undercover to several, many doctor's offices to see whether doctors we knew had serious pattern of losses in their malpractice cases. Now, I know that a malpractice case is sort of standard operating procedure for a doctor 
Many doctors have them, winning them or losing them. There are all kinds of factors that go into that. So I'm not making any blanket statement about whether a doctor has them or even whether they've lost them, but just whether they will tell you that, just whether they will tell you. It's all about disclosure and truth. So we went into this doctor's office and long story short, I mean, too late for that now, but okay, <laughs> too long of a story, somewhat shorter. Um, he lied up one side and down the other, absolutely lied to us. He completely said that he had no malpractice losses whatsoever. And we knew that wasn't true. Um, and that happened many times. And as a result of that, those undercover investigations where I have to say, I was wearing a hidden camera. So in my, I was wearing three sweatshirts. So I'd look big and a, and a work shirt over the sweatshirt. And um, in the buttonhole of my shirt was not the button, but was a camera that looked like a button, the lens of a camera that looked like a button. And then snaking down behind that camera lens was the cord, the wire to the camera that was attached to the camera that was in my fanny pack that I was wearing. <laughs> so everything this doctor did, or every time he said no when he was lying, was caught on camera. Now. You don't want to, I mean, it was legal. It's legal in Massachusetts to, to tape someone's video if they don't know it. Um, so I wasn't doing anything illegal, but you can imagine that the doctor would not have been the happiest person in the world had he known, um, or any of the doctors, had they known that I was wearing a hidden camera. So, you know, and he's, you know, he's looking at my chest and I thought, is he looking at the camera lens or what? You know, so very disconcerting in every way. Wow. Online. He lied, many of the doctors lied, and as a result of that investigation, the law was changed in Massachusetts um, to put the doctor's uh, legal history in their, in their public record. So now, as a result of that story, you can go find out the legal truth about a doctor as a result of our investigation. But so the point, I, thank you. And so the point, <laughs> finally, to your question is, I started thinking about how he had really lied to me. That doctor had flat out lied to me for a reason that he thought was good. You know, he thought I didn't need to know about his malpractice history. He wanted me to um, hire him essentially as my doctor so he would get money from me. Um, so, and I thought, you know, that's, that's not good. You know, that's lying for a bad purpose. But I was lying too, right? I was lying too. I was in there with a hidden camera. I didn't say this is Hank Phillippe Ryan. I'm a reporter at Channel 7. I went in as being a meek little person who wanted to get pregnant. And I was lying. I was lying to him. I was being completely deceptive. Um, but I was doing it for what I thought was a good reason, not for myself, but for the greater good. And we did win an Emmy for that. You can see one of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, so I was lying for a good reason. I had become someone else to get what I wanted, in that case, to reveal the truth about this doctor's history. And I started thinking about that, about how I would, how we're all, we all become someone else when we want something, right? If I, I'm talking to my boss differently than I'm talking to my husband, or I talk to you all different than I'm talking to a stranger. So we take on this new persona. And I started thinking about identity and pretending and lying and what you know what if you what if being someone else could get you what you want and that was sort of the that was sort of the beginning of it um and so even though that story i, I didn't i and as you know from reading the book i didn't take that i didn't take that story and make it into fiction that's not that at all 
but it's the emotion and the stakes and the responsibility and the the one you know the need for a family and the reliance how much we rely on our doctors and on our pharmaceutical companies and our, on our medications to do what the doctors will tell us for our good not for theirs not for theirs but for our good and how often that does or doesn't happen and so that was sort of that was sort of the essence of the beginning of the first to lie. Well, that's so interesting. Okay, so I want to follow up by asking Hank, was this, so you said that story was 10 years ago. Was it in, was that germ of an idea kind of floundering around for 10 years or did it, you revisit it? You know, that is such a good question too. And it is sort of interesting to think about how ideas develop and how ideas emerge. You know, I, I did not think specifically, I wonder if that's a good idea for a novel. I mean, when I was, when I was doing that undercover story, I was not writing novels. So, so it, it didn't occur to me as a good idea for a novel. <laughs> um, so it, all those little life experiences sort of get tucked into our heads. You know, we all, all authors um, write from things we know or things we felt or uh, things we've heard or understand or wonder about, no wonder about. And so when I'm when I'm thinking when I was thinking about writing a novel, I started thinking about in this one in the first to lie, um, what if a family member of a of a big company that was doing something wrong knew a secret about that company, would they tell um, if it would ruin their lives and their family's life? You know, if you were the daughter of a big pharmaceutical company and your father and your family made millions and billions of dollars from it, and, and you, were the, you were the rich, smart, you know, affluent, um, privileged daughter, mm. and then you found out that something really terrible was happening in that company, would you tell? Would you tell? Mm. And would your happiness, how would you weigh your happiness versus the good of potentially millions of people. How, how would that work? And how does a pharmaceutical company then, for instance, decide whether if a drug helps a lot of people, but harms a just a few, you know, is that okay? What is the calculus that goes into that equation? But to write a fast paced, page-turning thriller like the first to lie to write a page-turning thriller it can't be about that kind of you know no one wants to read about a big pharmaceutical company but <laughs> what about a woman who wants to have a, a child mm. you know what about a family that's ruined so i take a big concept like you know pharmaceutical companies and drug decisions and drug sales and all those kinds of things and make it be very very personal and that's the gateway that's the doorway for, for me as an author to get to say to you, hey, listen, you know, this, this is what could happen to you. And this is what you need to watch out for. We all need to be, you know, have some agency in our lives and ask questions and make sure we know. And so that's what the book underneath is about, even though on the outside, it's a, it's a page turning thriller. <laughs> and I could just see if, you know, you're in your living room book club, this could go on for a while because <laughs> everybody would be trying to decide, you know, what type of person am mm -hmm. I? And then what about this situation or that situation? It's just, it's fascinating to, to talk about because 
you know, it's such a fascinating subject. Well, you know, there was a funny thing on Twitter uh, that said, talk about, tell about your book in four words. So I thought, oh, that should be easy. And then it wasn't, you know, it was difficult. And I finally got down to betrayal, motherhood, obsession, and revenge. Betrayal, motherhood, obsession, and revenge. And that's really what the first to lie is about. Oh my gosh. All right, yeah. so let's go to Teresa. She has got a question too. Okay. Hi. Hi. There are numerous points of view here and, and lots of different timelines for the different characters. How did you organize it and keep track of all those? Thank you. Um, well, there are four <laughs> different, there, there are only four different points of view, only four. There are Ellie and Nora and Brooke and Lacey. And then there are only two points of view in the present, Ellie and Nora. Only now, right now, what's happening right now, we hear from Ellie and we hear from Nora. Then in the past, we hear from Brooke and Lacey. So I, I structured the book in that, in that now and before way. Then I only had to, you know, then I'm only talking about two points of view in the present. So um, it wasn't difficult at all, I say now that the whole book is over. <laughs> and I um, so my way of writing a story is to say what, is to tell what really happened. What really happened? You know, what is Ellie thinking? What is Nora thinking? And how, what do they want? And how far will they go to get that? And the same with Brooke and Lacey. What do they want? And how far will they go to get it? So I follow each character's um, decision-making process toward that goal of what they want. Um, and during that decision-making process, which is a series of obstacles, so Ellie, let's say, wants something and she's going for it and something happens and it gets in her way and she has to make a decision to go around that obstacle to keep on her journey of getting what she wants. Um, and the same with the other three main characters, right? That's what they're doing. And in, those, in that decision-making process, the their characters are revealed, their personalities are revealed. We decide if we like them based on what they do. And you know, it's so wonderful that you have chocolate chip cookies. Uh, one of the not, one of the, one of the secondary characters, Meg, a non-point of view character, Meg, brings chocolate chip cookies to people. And that's, that's, we think, oh, she's nice. You know, that's so nice when someone brings <laughs> chocolate chip cookies, but you know, really, is it? And, uh, <laughs> Because we know, know again, right? <laughs> what if being someone else could get you what you want? So all those, you know, the reason that there are two different points of view in the present and two different points of view in the past um, are so that so the readers can understand um, their the motivations of, of those people. And the reader, remember, knows more than the characters do. So when, you know, we may know more about Lacey or Brooke than Lacey or Brooke knows about each other. And that's, you know, that kind of dramatic irony is what pushes for the book forward. That's the engine of the book, this conflict, known or not known, understood or not understood, is what propels the reader through mm -hmm. the book. Because having a different point of view, and finally here, Teresa, is a little bit more of your answer. Having a different point of view means 
that person can make a mistake because they trust someone that they shouldn't or they misunderstand something that they shouldn't or they see something wrong or they make a decision that someone is good or bad and that's an error. And then they make those decisions that I was talking about as a result of a mistake. And you, the reader, who I have allowed you to be smarter than the characters <laughs> in the book, um, you're saying, no, no, he or she is bad or good. You know, don't do that. But, you, but then that's where my point of view, Hank's point of view, the author's point of view comes in. And I say, watch this, reader. <laughs> Guess what? You know, and, and that's the that's the fun part for me. Well, I have a little bit of a follow-up on that. I was wondering, um, do you have a favorite character oh. from this book? Oh, gosh. You know, do I have a favorite character from the book? Um, well, you know, I, lo I loved Lacey. I loved writing Lacey, and I loved writing Brooke. Um, writing from the point of view of a 15-year-old was... This is spoken like a like a mother. <laughs> I'm not gonna pick. I'm not gonna I'm pick not gonna, a favorite, right? <laughs> I don't think you can. No, you can't. And the thing is that I, if I say I love them all, they wouldn't be in the book if I didn't love. If I didn't have fun right. writing them, you know, when I'm yeah. writing Lacey or when I'm writing Brooke, it's very like method acting. You know, I, I I really am that person, and I you know I know that I'm I probably my posture is probably different, you know, when I'm Nora you know, than when I'm Ellie, you know, the determined Ellie. So it's, it's fun to write those characters because I, I can then be them. And then you have to mine how they would feel, you know, think about, and I'm not giving anything away here. Think about Brooke sitting, talking to with her mother, you know, at, in, in the kitchen that day, mm -hmm. you know, think about what she must've felt uh, and how a 15 year old feels and how her mother felt about what happened. You know, all, all, those, all those kinds of things about young love in the summer, someone that you only know for two weeks and they have pink hair and, you know, <laughs> what about that? You know, how does that, change your, how does that change your life? Someone that you're never going to see again, how does that change your life? Mm. Yeah, that, that, you know what, as, you, as you're talking about that, and it also, you know, now I'm realizing that's, really another fun part of writing and reading because you get to see them at different ages in their same life and i really you get to know that person i think even better that way um that's kind of neat how you did that yeah, thank I like you that. i mean it is all about what they want you know it's about what they want and what happened to them remember betrayal motherhood obsession and revenge mm -hmm. and that is a, and that is a progression isn't it something happened a betrayal happened and as a result of that other things those other things happened and that's how real life is isn't it something happens because something else happened um, and that's what one of the keys of writing a successful book i think is that people have to do things because it when it, people do things because it makes sense and that's why i don't have an outline you know i have no idea um, what happens <laughs> next in my books until i write the next word or the next sentence or the next paragraph because just like in real life, you don't know what's gonna happen. So people say, wow, those twists really surprised me. And I'm like, yeah, wasn't that <laughs> me too? <laughs> because I surprise myself. I surprise oh. myself every day. And I love that. I mean, I love that yeah. because that's what gets me to the computer. I'm sitting right here at this very desk in Boston is where I write every day. And that's what gets me here every day is I think, I wonder what's gonna happen next. I wonder what's gonna happen. <laughs> uh, and I know that I won't know until I write it. Mm. That's neat. That's cool. That is. All 
All right. Well, um, Judy, you had a question. Yes. First of all, Hank, thank you for so many hours of wonderful reading and uh, wonderful, wonderful stuff. It's great. And do have you ever been approached to have one of your books made into a movie? And and is there a book that you would like to see made into a movie? And if they if they didn't, would you try to keep control or would you just let them go with it? Um, all of my books have been in talks about being movies. And I, I have to, and I have to tell you, Judy, though, that this is not something that I really think about very much. The idea that a, a book would turn into a, would become a movie is so rare, just <laughs> so rare. I can't begin to tell you how often it doesn't happen. And so if I spent any amount of time thinking about that, it would be a waste of time, it would frankly be a waste of time. And a couple other things about that. I mean, this is such a fascinating topic to me because my goal, one of the things I love as an author is when people, readers say to me, oh, I could just see that. I, I could just picture that. Mm -hmm. And that's my goal is to give you a, a, a picture on the page, a movie in your mind, let's say, so that you can see you. It's almost as if you have seen the movie because you've read the book, you see it. Um, and, and when, you know, when Hollywood or whoever comes to take your book, there's, you can't, I mean, it's very rare that an author has any say in it. And think about how complex this, for instance, the first to lie. Think how complex that is. Um, and I, I'm not sure that would, I don't, Hollywood don't listen to me, but I'm not sure that, <laughs> I'm not sure that would be a good movie. I think it's as a book. I write it to be a book. I'm, I, I write it to be um, as cinematic as I possibly can, but that doesn't, but the cinema is in your brain. The cinema is not on the screen. And that's, that's how I write them. Now, my book, let's just say The Wrong Girl, the second of the Jane Ryland thrillers. The Wrong Girl is a slam dunk. That would be a slam dunk great movie. There's no question about it. And one of the reasons, not only because it's a good story, if I do say so myself, you know, and it's that. relatable, what if an adoption agency were reuniting birth parents with the wrong children? Think about how that might happen, and it has. Um, it's a, it's a very linear story that pretty much takes place in the present. And that is much easier than something that's as complex and gorgeously tapestried as, <laughs> if I do say so, as, as yeah. it's to lie. <laughs> so, um, and you know, it's interesting, Sue Grafton, uh, in her will, prohibits her estate from selling the Kinsey books to Hollywood because she used to be a screenwriter in Hollywood and she used to say that she knew how screenwriters could ruin books. And she, you know, for one thing, she didn't want anybody to wreck her novels. And two, and this is so interesting what she said, was that each of us who have read the Sue Grafton books, we think we know what Kinsey Malone looks like, right? In our head, we know her. And as soon as they pick an actor to be Kinsey, 99% of people are going to say, oh, that doesn't look like her. You know, ah, that's <laughs> that right. People will complain. So yeah. why ruin it? Yeah. Why ruin it? So, you know, I, my philosophy is sort of let's see what happens. I, I, I've learned in my life not to hope for something sort of because we don't even know what to hope for. We don't know what's going to be good or bad. So, you know, when we started to, when we started tonight, I, uh, the, you heard about the starred review from Publishers Weekly, and that is what floats me through the tale of the first to lie. That's what I'm going for. I'm going for 
readers to love it. That's, that's my goal. I think you accomplished that. <laughs> uh, yes. And, and I would, and I would add to Hollywood out there, a lot of people are doing like mini series now and that would be a good book because you could do different, you know, episodes each week and they could be, mm -hmm. you know, oh, younger, yeah. older, Girl, the other woman, say no more, what you see, truth be told, mm -hmm. all of those, all of the Jane Ryland books. And also the, oh, look no at that, here's Say No More. I have, <laughs> I have the Hank Philippi Ryan collection, just so uh, you know. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. And The Murder List, my, uh, the, my previous novel, The Murder List, would be superly good. Super good, like yeah. Netflix, Amazon, hello out there. Yeah, yep. hey Netflix. And I'm just saying, if you haven't read this, you have to. And then- Other way. Mm -hmm. Other way, thank you. <laughs> look at that, do you see what it says? It's like a precursor to this Oh, book. oh yeah, oh yeah. Underneath <laughs> the red letters, he's liar. <laughs> I just saw Judy's jaw drop. This is what we're going for. Totally. I, I know, yeah. best they covers. Oh, that's on, so on, funny. On I didn't even realize that. How did I not know that? I have that book and we've talked about the book. We've talked about this. Um, Hank, we had, we had um, another member of our book club was gonna be here and she couldn't due to technology issues. Oh. Her name is Ellen. She'll be joining us for another one. But Teresa is going to ask her question for oh, us. Great. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you. And I have all those books, too. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> all of your books. <laughs> thank you. Um, what were your favorite books growing up, and what do you like to read now? My favorite books growing up. Oh, let's see. So uh, the Edward Eager mysteries. Do you remember the Time Garden and Magic or Not and Knight's Castle? Edward Eager, an American author, wrote a series of novels, children, you know, young adult, I learned children's books, about uh, a family of four kids who have adventures and they're sort of magic. So in one of them, in Knight's Castle, for instance, they go back to Camelot. But, oh. but the kids know the story of Camelot, so they... So they know what happens. No, 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 that's not. <laughs> Ivanhoe, 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 okay. not Camelot, Ivanhoe. The kids okay. go back to Ivanhoe. Um, but of course the kids have read the book so they know what happens. So the characters though, when they go back to Ivanhoe, don't know what happened. So it's, they're very layered. Another one is called uh, Half Magic, where the kids find a, a magic coin where they can wish for things. And they mm. quickly learn that they have to, um, wish for twice as many or twice as much of whatever it is because it's only the coin is only half only half magic so for instance they early on they wish their cat could talk and then turns out the cat can only whisper <laughs> <laughs> so you know i wish i were home if you said i, I wish i were home you'd only get halfway home oh, that's terrible. So, so it's all about math and science and <laughs> physics and magic and thinking and how, how fun it is to be smart. You know, so I, I love those books. Um, I, you know, um, The Visit to the Mushroom Planet, do you remember the um, <laughs> sort of science fiction-y children's books? But, but again, That's they're so smart. Um, what's the one that everybody loves with Meg Murray that was just the Oprah movie? And it's, I can uh. never remember the name of it. That one. And <laughs> the other one I loved was, um, is called, um, it's by Jane Langton and it's called The Diamond in the Window. You saw my brain trying to retrieve yeah, The Diamond in the Window, which is again about uh, some siblings and magic. And it's also about um, 
Thoreau and Emerson and transcendentalism and magic and courage uh, and, and loyalty and friendship and all those kinds of things. The Diamond in the Window by Jane Langton, who was from Lincoln, Massachusetts, uh, just sort of two towns away from me. And I, she was always my idol. And one of the joys of my life was before she died, I got to uh, be at a book signing with her where she and I oh. were signing together. And I, oh, you know, I said to her, you know, I could, there's no one I could adore more than you and no one who changed my life um, more than you as, as a reader. Of course, Sherlock Holmes, of course, Nancy Drew. And then I graduated to all the Agatha Christie books. And I do think if, any, if you know, if you think about what was the book that made me start to write, um, although, you know, I didn't start writing till I was 55 and I, you know, I read Murder on the Orient Express probably when I was 10. So it took a while for that to sink in. But that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted to you remember when you read Murder on the Orient Express and you thought, how did Agatha Christie do that? How did she do that? How did she fool me? Uh, you know, all the clues are there. It's very fair. Um, but in the end, it, this, the, the result, the solution is, is surprising, but inevitable and, I, and fair. And that's what I always wanted to do. So those were very formative. All those books were very formative. And again, they're all about more than the story. They all have a theme and a lot of the themes were courage and and bravery you know and figuring out a problem when i if, if i overthink it <laughs> that's what <laughs> um the books i'm reading now interestingly are um often uh, books that aren't out yet they're advanced review copies that authors send me to see if I'll do an endorsement blurb for them so i'm reading a lot of books that you will read in a year mm -hmm. or so uh, it's really exciting to, uh, you know, my dad used to be the music critic for the old Chicago Daily News a million years ago. Uh, and he saw a lot of shows, Broadway shows. He saw Kismet and, and West Side Story before anybody else saw them because he was the reviewer. And I said to him, you know, dad, did you know when you saw something that good that it was going to be a classic? And he said, yes, you know, you absolutely know. Wow. Uh, and you know, imagine, you know, we know tonight and Maria and um, this is my beloved. And he heard those when almost no one had heard them before. Imagine. That's, and that's the, wonderful. <laughs> and that's the same with reading an advance review copy of a book. You know, Christy and Kathy, you know this. You know, when you read a book and you get these and, and you think, wow, the world is going to love this soon. Mm -hmm. And I am mm -hmm. reading it first. So oh, that's, that's so cool. Yes, wonderful. Okay, so in light of the beautiful statues behind you, I have a question. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, you have won well in excess of 30 Emmys in your 43 years, as you said, as an investigative journalist. And then you had this, you know, I remember declaration you made to your husband and you forayed a new um, career into novel writing. I... Um, and, and I think it's so admirable and exciting to know of somebody making a change in, in a big way at, at a midway through their life or whenever. So I would like to know if you have any advice for other people doing the same thing. Oh, what a lovely and thoughtful question, truly. Yeah, you know, I didn't start writing until I was 55. And I had had um, a, you know, a great television career at that time. I'm still on the air here in Boston. But I, I did have a really good idea for a book, and I knew it would be, I knew it would be a good book. 
Um, you know, and as Kathy said, I said to my husband, I've got, I've got a great idea for a novel. I'm going to write a mystery. And Jonathan says, do you know how to write a book? <laughs> um, so I said, sure, how hard can it be? You know, I've read a million of them. So it was difficult. I soon learned it was difficult, but that became prime time, um, which was my first novel. And it won the Agatha for best first novel. I think you can see the Agatha teapot. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them on the on the shelf behind me. Um, I do think that I'm the poster child for following your dreams in midlife. You know, I, I always think about, um, I was a little bit brave and I was a little bit naive, you know, how crazy to think that you could, that I could write a book. That's so difficult. But, you know, I thought if I don't do it now, if I don't try it, how will I ever know whether I can do it or not? So, you know, I think all of us, many of us, I'll say have a thing, you know, whether it's writing our memoir or that compendium of putting together that compendium of recipes that our family's been clamoring for or learning a new language or try something new, uh, you know, anything like that, you can, you can decide to do it and try it, or you can just say, well, that'll never work. And then what? You'll never know. You'll never know. And so, um, again, I'm sort of the proof that this can work. You know, I, I, I naively and overconfidently and ridiculously decided to write a novel 15 years ago, 14 years ago, something like that. And um, it, it, knock on wood, it was a success. And the other ones have been a success. And I'm writing my 13th book wow. now. But if I hadn't taken that step, if I hadn't been a little bit brave and crazy, um, I never would have done it. So I do think that all of us have um, in our souls or wherever we keep that, some sort of desire to, you know, I wish I could do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I'm never going to be an Olympic gymnast. You know, I'm never <laughs> going to be able to play the violin. Never. <laughs> but, I, but there are things that I can do and there are things that you can do. And it's just a question of having a little bit of patience. And a, I mean, I have on my, I'm looking on my desk right here to see if I have this. I have this rock on my desk that says, imagine. Oh. And, that's, and that's sort of what carries me through a lot of these things. You know, what if that, what if it worked? You know, and whatever you want, what if that worked? You know, wouldn't mm. that be great? And what you can't if, do it if you don't try. Awesome. Oh, that's such an inspiration. Yeah. It is. It's an inspiration to everybody, writing or otherwise. And we're so grateful that you sh- shared that with us. And um, Indeed. I, I, I know, know your schedule you, um, is... Well, I just love to know whether... I mean, did you enjoy the book? Was it... Read is this the kind of thing... We'll take turns. Trissy, you want to start? Uh, oh, yes. And I have it right here. I finished it oh, last wonderful. week. And um, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the murder list too, and I can't decide which one I like. Better. You don't need to decide. If you, like, <laughs> you can like one better in, in 2019 and one better in 2020. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I really, I really list, enjoyed. Again, it. in the murder list, I had no idea what was going to happen. I did not know the end of that. Uh huh. So don't even say a word. But uh, <laughs> you know, that was a surprise to me as well. <laughs> All right, Beth, what do you, what do you think? But I really enjoyed it. I mean, I pretty much hold up in my room. I'm back home living with my stepdad going to school and he kept coming downstairs going, you're okay. I mean, I was, 
<laughs> I was more holed up than I am when I'm studying. <laughs> um, I really did enjoy it. It was, it was nice to read something other than medical books. <laughs> well, you know, I tried, you know, medical, it's like a, somebody said, um, somebody said about, um, the murder list, if John Grisham and Lisa Scottolini had a book baby, the murder list would be it. But the truth to lie, I mean, sorry, the first to lie is, the first to lie is a different kind of book altogether. <laughs> it is, it has a little bit of a medical essence to it. I did a lot of research in the pharmaceutical companies and pharmaceutical um, sales representatives and doctors and researchers. And so, you know what, I, I do a lot of research and then I toss it all away. You know, I sort of take it all into my brain and then say, okay, now I'm going to write a book about the people involved. Um, and that's what came out about it. But I want, that, I want you in the end, you know, the next time you go to the doctor's office or have a telehealth or whatever we're doing, um, <laughs> or take some medicine, I want you to think, okay, what do I know about this and what do I need to know? So I want you to feel, I want the readers to feel yeah. empowered and confident in themselves that what they what they're asking and what they care about is important and matters. All right, Judy, you're up. Uh, it was great, and the twists and turns are just when you think you know you got it nailed. I know what's going on, and then something else happens. It it, it was really great. That's great, and that's a very nice thing that you did about alerting people to ask their doctors or be more inquisitive, especially in these chaotic medical times. Great. Definitely so. I mean, you know, doctors are rushed and we have this 15 minute chunk and, you know, they, some of them have learned to make us feel um, as if our time is up and let's go, go, go. And, you know, it's not like you're going to sit and chat with them for hours. They have other patients and other patients are just as important as we are. But if you have a question, ask them. Ask mm. them. Right. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Sure. I'm so glad to hear that you that you all love the first to lie. It's really, you know, I sit here in this little office and I worry and write and I, you know, in the midst of a book, I think, oh, is anybody going to like this? This is going to be the time this isn't going to work. Oh my golly, what am I going to do? And so hearing, um, hearing you all get it, you know, that you understand what it's about. You understand that it's, you know, it's a, it's a thriller, a psychological cat and mouse thriller, but which which character is the cat and which character is the mouse and that is the essence of the first to lie wonderful yeah it was it was it was well kathy knows because i was had many sleepless nights because that's when i start reading at night and then i can't stop and well, so yeah, i probably in, in, two nights in a row and then i was like now what am i gonna do i got to the end uh, <laughs> now i'm gonna read it again because now i can't believe it <laughs> well you know that's interesting because one of the one of my most favorite things is to get emails from people who say i just finished the first to lie and i'm going back to read it again to see how you did that yep um because it, it's like how you how did you fool me that well I don't know, <laughs> <but>. <laughs> you know i did a tedx talk which is um posted on the ted on the ted talk website about how i don't do this okay don't do this how i sometimes read the last page of books oh. first my husband does uh, this hank my he, husband does this he does he does and, and what does he say why um he wants to know um he he dislikes unsettled feelings 
<laughs> so he wants to know it's going to be good in the end. He'll be enjoy yeah. it when he gets there, but he will even Google the last scene of movies when we're going to watch it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, to give him a, a socially distanced hug for me. I, will. <laughs> I, I understand that. You know, I said at the beginning, yeah. I think of our talk tonight that I, I don't like to be surprised. Mm -hmm. It makes me, it's, I don't like suspense. I know I write suspense. <laughs> I like other people to be surprised, but I don't like for me to be surprised. I think we can say that I can speak for all of us that this was one of our favorite books. Oh my gosh. That we've read this year. And, um, if you haven't read it out there, then you need to run to your local bookstore or to order it from them because they really need our support right now too. And you won't be disappointed. Yes. And, and I will say, set, make sure if you've gone out and gotten this book, set some time aside because you won't be able to put it down. Well, it's funny. Back in the day when we could go outside, I used to say to people, I want you to miss your stop on the subway because you're reading this book. That's my goal is to have you be so consumed by the book that you forget where you are. But I do say, you know, it's always safe inside a book. It's always safe inside a book. And especially these crazy times, you know, just pick up a good book, go to your independent bookstore online, you know, get something wonderful, get the first to lie, get another wonderful novel and just lose yourself in that. You, know, you, can, you can live someone else's life. You can solve someone else's problems. You can make someone else's decisions. You can take yourself away for a while. You know, just quickly, I'll say at the beginning of the pandemic, I was really having a hard time writing. And I thought, you know, why am I doing this? This is so small. This is, you know, this is so meaningless in this horrible world. And then I began to realize that storytelling and writing is more important now than it ever was. You know, this is um, having people think and art and culture and beauty and joy and literature. That's all the more important now. And um, reading, you know, the, to know that people are reading books and telling stories and hearing stories, I embrace that um, even more now. So that's why being here today is just so lovely to see um, that you all are doing exactly the same thing. Well, thank you. Yeah, cheers uh, to Hank. Thank you. Cheers to Hank uh, and check out yes. her other books on her website because, um, you know, you're going to read them fast. So you're going to have to get them all, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And um and we'll we'll have the, all the links uh on our our website gameofbookspodcast.com. Yep. And we also would like to thank Beth and Teresa and Judy and Ellen even though she couldn't make it <laughs> to um for joining us and yeah. yeah, having fun with us. I hope you had fun. <laughs> and um, for uh, all our listeners out there, if you didn't get chosen today for this episode, you can sign up for another chance for an upcoming GOB club with uh, David Albertine, which we who we had met at Thriller Fest Tank. That's how we got hooked Fantastic. up with David. Yeah. All right. So I think Christy, want to sign us out? Well, I think it's been a fun episode, and I think we should all just have a Cheers. toast. Cheers. Thanks for joining us on today's adventure. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube, where you can watch and listen. On gameofbookspodcast.com,
You can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode, and you can sign up for our newsletter or enter our fun contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers. Cheers.